Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Outside the Sheds. I'm your host, your Shed Adamus, your Captain Steubing on this love boat ride. I am Corey Jackson. And yes, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're here at Outside the Sheds. And I hope you're coming to this week's meeting of the family, of, our, of us group of shed heads, and, and just still riding high from what we just experienced. And, and what that is, is the culmination of two seasons that I don't know if anyone really thought would be completed. And I know I'm kind of, I went from fun and let's go over the top to a little bit serious, but let's be honest. Back in late March, first couple weeks in April, I don't know if anyone really truthfully knew we would be where we were at last weekend playing two grand finals. So much so that I don't think anyone expected a grand final to be played at the GABA especially when it comes from the pride of Victoria with it being the AFL. But that's 2020, ladies and gentlemen. And the only thing we can say there, Shedheads, is that we got there. I guess we didn't get there. We were going to get there one way or the other. But these two incredible leagues got there um, with some great leadership. Having to be able to change on a dime, um, no matter if it was a positive test, and let's be honest, NRL, AFL, we haven't had a positive test reported from either one of the leagues, I don't think, for two or three months, and I don't know if we ever had a report from a bubble standpoint from the NRL from the moment that it was implemented, now that I think about it, but... NFL, you'd sure love that, wouldn't you? But anyway, um, but that's that's kind of some of the things that that uh, were kind of on my mind as I started this whole uh, this week's podcast out. But but let's let's kind of go back to something that we all know and love, all of us, and that's your shed Adamus. Shedheads, I don't know what you've done with your winnings. I I I was joking the last couple of weeks that I thought possibly that. You could maybe put towards my retirement fund or maybe a, a cruise. You you did hear me call myself your Captain Steubing of this trip. But let's go down to the brass tacks. I went 13 of 19 for all the finals games at a 68% clip, okay? And some of those games early on are a pick em. I, I like Let's be honest. I You remember when, when, when I talked about in week one the St. Kilda and Western Bulldogs match. I'm like, that's a, that's a crapshoot. Who knows who's going to win that? And I, I think I went with the dogs on that. So I gave myself an L there. But, you know, that was such a close game. Who knows? And and if any of you won money or, or won a pick by picking Collingwood going to West Coast and beating the Eagles, you're lying to me, first off. But secondly, wow, 
who saw that happening? I don't think I don't think anybody saw it happening, let alone the Collingwood the team themselves. And we saw that because they pretty much didn't show up the week after that. But so I went 13 of 19, and I'll throw those two on the loss column that we just talked about. But let's get down to it really to the times that really mattered. From the preliminary final round on, your Shed Adamas went six of seven in his picks at an 85% clip. Hey, I'm not going to say I should put the the Clive Churchill or the, the the Brownlow around my neck, but 85%. Shedheads, that's impressive. And I don't like to usually toot my own horn too much, but I'm a full brand. I'm a, I'm a my own band right now. I'm tooting so hard because that that was pretty good. And if it wasn't again, I go back to Adam Reynolds putting his foot on the on the on the 40 line so he didn't get his 40-20. I still say the Rabbitohs come back and go over the top of, of the Penrith Panthers in the final. But it didn't happen, and, and Penrith made their way there. But I just wanted to start off right there saying we had a good picking. We had some good picks going on there. And I hope that you reap the rewards and and the little mister and the little missus and the little kids, your, your little sex trophies, I hope that they're going to benefit from all of your winnings for the Christmas bundle that you just brought home over the last few weeks. But that's enough about me and the picks. Let's talk about some of my picks, and that is that I picked the grand final in both of the two grand finals that we just experienced. We'll start off with the one that I, I think was the one that just blew me away. And that was at the GABA, the Tigers and the Cats. You had the team that had the experience, I would say maybe the benchmark of the last three seasons, against a team that had kind of run into the hoodoo and couldn't get over the top to make it to the grand final in the Geelong Cats. But a Cats team that really looked like they were coming into their own stride, and that's what I thought made this final look so appealing. You had you had a team that got knocked out by the team last season with Richmond beating Geelong last year and knocking them out of the finals. But I just sensed that this Geelong team were precise. If you saw the way that they took down the Brisbane Lions the round before in the preliminary final, and a Tigers team that, you know, truthfully, going into Port Adelaide and beating the power with the amount of fans they had in that stadium, almost the same amount of fans that were at the grand final at the GABA, said a lot about where the Tigers' mentality was and where they were at as a, as a group and as a team. So those two coming together, playing incredible football, I knew was going to lead into something that is going to go down as, as as memorable, one way or the other. Because if the Tigers win, they win three of the last four grand finals. And if Geelong wins, they, f- they fully break free of the hoodoo and win their first grand final since 2011. So there was a lot riding on it. You had And you had the little general, um, Gary Ablett Jr., who was playing his last match. So... I know Geelong really wanted to send him out on top as a winner, uh, being able to really experience and him his coming home, his second his second um, 
stint with with the Cats. And there was a real talk before the match that the match might get delayed because of inclement weather in the area. There were some really big thunderstorms um, that they thought possibly could be coming into the Gaba. And, and truthfully, if you looked on paper, that really matched well for Richmond, being a, a frantic, hectic team that likes fast movement of the ball, but likes it to be a little bit crazy out there on the field compared to a Geelong team that's going to surgically rip you apart. So I think a lot of the yellow and black was hoping that Mother Nature was going to open up and cry that the grand final wasn't in Victoria, but it never really came to pass. It, it, it The storms and the rain rolled through a little bit earlier, and we pretty much had a pretty good match. You could see that there was still some remnants of rainfall because I think Dustin Martin went through four sets of cleats in the game because he just really couldn't get a feel of the field the way that he wanted to. He did, he wasn't getting the grip that he really needed to. And it took him for that fourth pair for him to really get comfortable. And we all saw what happened when that happened. But the game started really, really strange because Geelong had a chance to really put their stamp in early, but missed two goal opportunities and kicked two behinds. So they were only up two to nothing. And after that point, the Tigers scored two successive goals. Dion Prestia and, and McIntosh kicked him. And so we're looking at a, a 12-2 score. The yellow and black army that somehow found their way there. I don't know what they were breathing alcohol-wise there. I'm happy there was no breathalyzers in the stadium. But they were kind of getting that sensation because if you remember... Richmond's two grand final victories weren't really that close of matches. And that's being nice. The Tigers, by halftime, pretty much had put away both clubs. And I think people were kind of wondering, was Richmond getting ready to go over the top when they got up 12-2 to like that? The, you know, the team looked like they were just charged and firing. And, and you know, they, they've caused problems for Geelong the last few seasons. But that did not happen. And early on, with the, the injuries that were that were accumulating on the field, one of them being Gary Ablett injuring his shoulder, and watching the little general run off the field, I I personally thought right when I saw that, I knew it was a shoulder injury. I knew it was the, in, the shoulder that, that Gary Ablett Jr. had injured before in the past and has actually had surgery on. I did not think we were going to see him come back on the field. And when we saw the little, the little master, the little general run back out there, strapped up and taped up, looking like that it was Halloween early, like a mummy on, on one side of his body, there was nothing that was going to keep that man from coming back on the field. And after we found out later that he had fractured in that shoulder and played for another three quarters with that injury, I think that's all you need to know about that, about that man as a player and as a competitor and there was no way that he wasn't going to finish his last game on his terms. But you could see every time that he went down on a tackle or he did something that he was in an immense amount of pain. Um, we know what the needle can do in professional sports now by taking away and numbing areas of the body. But there's only so much you can do with a fracture like that. And after a while, it's just putting on your, on your, on your nut huggers and getting out there and earning it a little bit getting a little bit dirty and understanding that this is a culmination of of years of practice, 
of of sacrifice and, and just putting it all out there. And we got to see that. And it was really cool to see that. It was not cool in the standpoint of seeing that he had to play that way, but it was good to see him finish the match. But on top of that, the Geelong can't the Geelong Cats, excuse me, went on a on a run scoring 33 of the next 34 points to take a big lead over the Tigers. So much so the commentator during the match even said the Cats are going to be tough to catch now, I think. Well, I guess that's why everyone has their opinion. I don't know why everyone why broadcasters always want to put the the fork in somebody so early on in a match, especially a team as tested as as the Tigers are. But but again, that was said. But this is the thing at this point. This is what made this match so appealing to me because you had rock stars on both sides, wearing the yellow and the black, wearing the blue hoops. You knew you were going to see some all-star play. And you were going to see either Dangerfield or Dusty step it up. And I said that last week. I said this is going to be a final. And I said whoever played the best match between those two players was going to win the grand final. And when the Tigers were at their lowest point, their fans were looking a little bit haggard in the crowd, a little bit lost because they hadn't been in this position. Dustin Martin got the ball and scored, I think, one of the goals of his career, especially in importance and in, and in timing, because it was it was the it was the entire dusty micro breakdown of his strengths and attributes, from his balance, his cat-like reflex, his balance his strength, and his positioning. And the kick that he did, if you watch it, he's running one direction, throws the ball up, and kicks it, where the ball isn't anywhere even in contact, in full stride, back across his body. It, it, I had to watch, you know, I've watched that goal 25, 30 times now since the grand final. Because the importance of it, and if you if you know anything about Dustin Martin, he is not the most vocal individual. He likes to, to do his talking by his play. And Martin kicking that, and the passion he ran back, yelling at his boys to lift it, let's go. And you're talking only about a minute and 25, I think, a minute and 35 seconds left in the half when he kicked it. It changed everything. It changed everything. And even though going into the sheds, the Cats were up 35 to 20, you just had the feeling that there was belief back in the Richmond locker room, in the Richmond shed, that that Dimmitt was going to come down and do what he's done the last four years. And let's be honest, done that a long time ago because you don't get to a championship platform until you put in the ground roots of making a family atmosphere and making people buy in. And that doesn't happen overnight in any club. No matter if it's NRL, AFL, NFL, NBA, you've got to put that in. And so what Damian Harwick has done in Richmond 
this is where that hard work from 2010 on pays off in 2020 because people believe in what you're saying. People believe what you say is what it is. And that to me is kind of what's important. So Dima gets inside the sheds and I, I, I was really shocked in the standpoint that when they came back out in the second half, it, it just showed me so much about what the Tigers are. And I'm saying it was it 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 was a third quarter that really emphasized where these two teams were because the Tigers came out like a team possessed in the third quarter and just grabbed Geelong by the throat. And I really I really didn't know what I was going to expect because you have to understand Richmond hadn't come from behind in any of their other two grand final victories and I just really didn't know what we were going to see I didn't think that by no means that they couldn't come back and win it and not just because I picked them but it's that heart of a champion and what do I always say I've said it the last few weeks to be the man you've got to beat the man aka Ric Flair the nature boy but the Tigers went out there Richmond went out and dominated the second half. And I know, I know that they got some late goals to kind of make it look like they had pulled away. But Richmond outscored the Cats 61 to 15 in the second half. That is incredible. That is incredible for for knowing the team that Geelong is. But for Richmond to be able to do that to them and to just kind of break their will, quote-unquote break their will, I did not expect to see. I really did not expect to see that. I did pick the Tigers. I did think they were going to win because I think the best player in the game, no matter if you won the Brownlow or not, to me is Dustin Martin. And he has proven time and time again that when it's a big game, Dusty steps up and does that. He, he wins it. I did not expect not to see much from Dangerfield in the second half. And I I don't to me I I'm this does not make me think anything less of Dangerfield. But in big times and in big time games, you've got to put your team on your back. And the way that we saw Danger play against Brisbane we did not get that from 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 Patrick Dangerfield against Richmond. And you can say that it was, you know, maybe the Tigers defensive scheme, but we just didn't see it. And I know the look on his face after the game was kind of a look of I got here and I could have played better. And I don't think, you know, I've never met Patrick Dangerfield, but I know the look because I've known and met and been an athlete myself, or I've seen that look in people's faces when they know they could have done a little bit more. But again, that's why this game and all the sport is a brutal, brutal, brutal thing to go through. 
Because one minute you're a hero, one minute everybody wants to kiss your ring, one minute the cute, every cute girl at the bar wants to sit by your side, and the next week no one will even look your direction, let alone buy you a drink. So, you know, it, that's kind of what the game is. And that's why it's, they always say, remember your moments, remember your times when you're here because there's no guarantee you're going to ever be back there again. Now, do I truthfully feel that Geelong will not be back there again? No. Chris Scott will get those guys. He'll have them back and firing. I don't think he'll have that beard on his face still uh, for next season. But even though it does have a good defined gray streak down the middle of it, doesn't it? But but I do think that Geelong is going to be there for a while. You know, they do have some players that are a little bit older. You know, Hawkins... In dangers, late 20s, early 30s, I think. But they're going to be right there next year as well because they've got good young talent as well. So Dustin Martin goes out there and does what Dustin Martin does. He kicks four goals, leads the Tigers to an 81-50 victory over the Geelong Cats, and becomes only, becomes, excuse me, the first player to win three Norm Smith medals in the 41-year history of that medal being presented for the the best player on the ground for the grand final. And think about that. Dustin Martin has only been in three grand finals. In all three of them, he's been the best player on the field. And if you think about Dustin's career... He had some big-time offers and in, in, in contracts to leave Richmond after the 2017 season. I think, I think reports have come out now that North Melbourne, the Kangaroos, the Roos offered him $11 million, $11 million contract, and the Adelaide Crows offered him close, I think, $11.25 million to come to Adelaide. But again, this goes back to what I said about Damian Hardwick and what he's built and not just Damian Hardwick, but just the Richmond Football Club. What they've, what they've, and by the way, did everybody remember that there is an American that's the president of the Richmond Football Club too? I didn't know if anybody remembered that. You know, there's Yanks. Anyway, uh, but they, you know, Peggy O'Neill, all of them have put together just a stable base. And let's be honest, going into the 2021 season. Are you going to pitch, pick against the Richmond Tigers? Because I'll tell you something right now about Richmond. Richmond feels that they should have won four in a row, which would have broke Hawthorne's streak of three in a row that they've done in this since 2000, 2010 or whatever. But that is going to be the firing point in these guys. They couldn't say they got the three-peat, that they, they stumbled... For one match, like we talked about last week, that kept them from being the just unstoppable true dynasty, four for four, blah, blah, blah. They want that. And I know that that is what Dima is going to pivot to. He is going to pivot to the three-peat. And that will really define them as being that club. And I... I I, I can't bet against them. Now, will there be teams coming for them? Yes. I think Port Adelaide 
with that with that young nucleus that they have there, they're going to be right there. The Western Bulldogs are going to be even better. They're a young club. They're going to be stronger next year. Let's hope they don't have to party at any more resorts after they get knocked out, but that's something else. But there are going to be some clubs. That, Brisbane Lions. I, I My gosh, I'm so sorry. The Brisbane Lions are going to be beyond there. Speaking of young clubs with talent. They've got the Brownlow medalist with Lockie Neal. So there will be clubs coming for that crown. But again, to be the man, you've got to beat the man. And the Tigers are the Tigers right now. We're all just living in a yellow and black world. That's all we're doing. So that was the first grand final of the weekend. Tigers 81, Cats 50, great grand final. And that led us to Saturday, Sunday morning for some of us, Sunday evening for others of us. And that was your NRL grand final of the Panthers and Storm. The true old guard, Cameron Smith, possibly playing his last game for the Melbourne Storm. And the young guard with Nathan TikTok Cleary and the Penrith Panthers. This was a tough match for me to pick, but the thing that made it so intriguing for me to watch and experience, because guys, I know I'm, I, I am your Shed Adamas, and I know that I, I pick him more than I miss him, but I've never been that guy that is big into gambling. I just think it's exciting to pick matches. But this was that match that I really, on paper, Penrith had won 17 in a row. And when you've won 17 matches in a row, you're either unstoppable or that other part of the glass is, well, streaks are meant to be broken. We're about ready to lose our first match in 17 weeks or whatever. And there was nothing that was really showing that Penrith was ready to lose. One thing that I will tell you, and I just kind of talked about it a few moments ago, was Penrith showed a little bit of their youth and non-experience in finals moments by almost letting the Rabbitohs come over the top of them late if it wasn't for the missed 40-20 by Adam Reynolds. And that was the first time I'd seen Penrith in a few weeks. I guess the Roosters kind of got close to him, but they they felt in charge in that match in the first in the first round. But that was the first time I kind of saw them not panic, but were very, very grateful. Excuse me, very, very grateful that the time ran off the clock. And I knew going into this match, the Melbourne Storm were going to give them nothing. They are the most lethal team at getting leads, taking leads, finding your weaknesses capitalizing on your weaknesses and I pretty much call them a gigantic anaconda because they're looking to grab you hold you and choke you out and don't forget I do have some pretty long damn teeth too and that is why I picked the storm to to beat the Panthers because I just thought the experience experience wise I just thought that Melbourne had everything. They'd been there before, and I think that they felt that they should have had more grand final victories 
in the last 10 years than what they had. And with that feeling that possibly this could be Cameron Smith's last match, there was no way they were going to let him go out a loser. Well, we get to the kickoff, and if that didn't show you how unique of a game this was going to be from the opening kickoff that almost went out of touch, then almost the player gets almost pulled out of out of bounds by a swarming Panthers team who throws the ball back in to a knock-on. And that was within the first 20 seconds of the match, giving Penrith the ball after they kicked off. And I, you know, just listening to the commentators and myself was like, did I just see that? I'm like, holy cow. But again, the reason I said Melbourne were going to win this match is because they didn't panic after that point. All the momentum is on on, on Penrith's side to just go over, run over the top of them, get the first try, and, and guess what? Black Magic is here. We're going to run over the top of these old guys. We've got them. But instead, the Melbourne Storm just held on and kept and kept Penrith out. And, and, and folks, Shedheads, after that point, the Storm did exactly what they did the round before, and they went off like a shot. They scored a try within the first three minutes of the match. And I think it's always important in a big match scenario to be the first team to get on the scoreboard. Does that guarantee you a victory? Heck no. But it breaks the ice with your team. It lets your team relax a little bit. And so that's why I always say in a big game, look at the percentages of teams that score first with with them winning the overall match. Especially a team with, like I said, the experience of Melbourne. So Melbourne scores, and they go on to score 22 in a row to take a 22-0 lead going into half. And the look on some of the faces of the Penrith boys as they were going off the field was a little bit of shock and awe because I think of of any scenario that that is played out, the last thing any of us thought was the Panthers were going to be down double digits, let alone 22 points going into halftime. I really did not see that happening. I don't think any of us did. And it came to pass that it that it was. Because myself, let me ask you, who do you want to have a 22-0 lead? A team coached by Craig Bellamy? Bellyache having 22 points to play with? Or Ivan Cleary, who's been only in two grand finals and hasn't won either one of them yet? Not saying that he's not a good coach. Don't ask a Tigers fan that. But not saying that he's not a good coach. But who do you want in a scenario, in a situation like that? The guy that wants to choke you out and has you in a chokehold or a guy that likes to throw the ball around and, and play offensive football? So we knew going into the second half that Penrith had to score first. To let the team have belief that they had a chance to come back over the top. And let's be honest. I think everyone felt in the stadium and watching at home that if the Panthers could just get that first try, 
that momentum would really shift. And that's why that first try was so important because I think it was five to one, the fan base inside that stadium for the Penrith Panthers. I'm like, the Melbourne Storm isn't the most loved team around the competition, let alone playing in Sydney. But that's the case. And so a lot, you know, these these people have been waiting. They paid pretty damn good money to get inside that stadium to watch their club. So they're waiting to explode. And as we've seen, Penrith really feeds off that excitement, that energy off a crowd. So we knew going into this half that they needed to score first. And just like the Melbourne Storm does, they didn't allow that to happen. Because we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, Ryan Pappenhausen did the gear shift neck, and that's what I call him, because the kid's head is straight up and down with that Andre Agassi mullet from 1987. And when he shifts that neck forward and down, folks, that's not fifth gear, that's sixth gear. And he bolted down the field, lightning quick, and scored the first try of the second half. That, to me, was everything. And, and truthfully, how the game finishes up, it was everything. Because it gave them a 26 nothing lead. And I would have loved to see what the tab numbers were, what numbers you could have got for Penrith to come back after being down 26 nothing. But I bet you you couldn't get, any, give, get anyone to give you those type of numbers. Because that just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen. And, and truthfully, the only reason this match became a game was off the first try that Penrith finally got in the 56th minute. And, and, and Shedheads, let's be honest. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a, that is a straight-up shepherd. Meaning they, they kicked the ball behind two players, causing a block for a try. That... Sh- not one commentator said that was not a shepherd. That was a shepherd. That that try should not have counted. But I have no idea what the bunker was looking at. Maybe, you know, maybe he got himself some KFC. I don't know what he had up there. But that changed everything. Because if they if they don't if they don't if they disallow that try, that game isn't even close. It finishes maybe. 26-12, maybe, maybe, but that lit a fire under Penrith. Their fans had something to cheer about, and they went on a run. And even with Jerome Hughes and Brandon Smith getting sin-binned, the storm held on. Now, is it crazy late? It was, it was, but... But I don't think I ever felt, even though they were coming, Penrith woke up and they were playing some pretty inspirational football. Nathan Cleary, I know he threw that bad pass that, that, that Vinavalu took back the, the, the whole length of the field to score a try, but he got a try. And Penrith really pushed forward and came at him. And, and let's be honest, if there's another five minutes left in that game, Penrith might come over the top of him. But there wasn't. And even though they had three seconds to go the length of the field after the kickoff, there was no way they were going to score on the Melbourne Storm. They just they just weren't. 
The Melbourne Storm, I think, are the only team that employs a professional judo coach on their coaching staff. And you want to know why the Storm are so good at holding players down and rolling them on their back? I think I might have just told you. That might might have just given you away the secret ingredients to those brownies. And that's it right there. They're very good at the choke. They're very good at rolling you over. They're very good at holding you in place. So there's no way that I felt that they were going to get run down or come over the top of after after that moment um, of going up 26 to nothing. It just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen. There were some incredible moments in that match. Ryan Pappenhausen diving into the out-of-bounds to prevent a kick to touch from Nathan Cleary might have been one of the most incredible plays I've seen since he did it earlier in the season. That's right. That crazy play that Pappenhausen did, he'd done earlier in the season. The kid is a freak. He is an... He is... I told you that, that Gutho and Pappenhausen might be two of my favorite players to watch in the league. And it's just from their energy and their passion, not their mustaches, no, or their goatees, but because of just the passion they play with. And, you know, it's he's only had the gig of fullback for, for 12 months. So what is this what is this guy who's still getting a little tutelage from from, from Billy Slater? What is this guy going to be like in two or three years when he puts on, you know, another five or ten pounds of weight and strength? This He is going to be special. He's already special because Ryan Pappenhausen won the Clive Churchill medal. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought that they were going to give it to Cameron Smith. And it's not that Cameron Smith did not play a great match. But Pappenhausen might have been the best player the last two or three rounds. He's just electric. And I think that back line feeds off of him from the way that he just goes. And, and it's it's incredible. There's not much to the guy. I'm saying he's not the biggest, most muscular individual. But again, Billy Slater wasn't either. So, it you know, it, you don't have to be. But you just have to know how to fall and know when to get down at times. And, and he knows how to do it. The only sad thing about the entire match with that in for Ryan Pappenhausen is on that play where he dove out of bounds and knocked the ball back in before it touched, he strained his calf muscle. And it's coming down more and more that it's just broken that he is not going to play in Origin 1 because of that injury. So that's really, really sad because I don't know where they were going to play him. But again... It, it's they're staying very quiet up in Queensland, but a lot of the All Stars, a lot of the guys that 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 the Blues are banking on to take them to another Origin Series victory, have either a niggle or they have a mental niggle. Meaning, Nathan Cleary, trust me, he's not going to get over this Grand Final loss in a week or two. He's still going to be thinking about that past of Binavalu. So that's why there's been some talk about possibly resting him and not playing him in Origin 1. 
Some people think that he needs to get right back on the bike, that he crashed, needs to get right back on there and so he doesn't get the yips and so he gets, can get his confidence back. But knowing Brad Fittler, Freddie's going to get him right back out there and, and I think we will see Nathan Cleary because he's been named as the seven. But again, he has a mental niggle. They're not sure Tedesco's knee is going to be well enough to go. And, and now Pappenhausen is probably out because of his calf. Well, gosh darn it. Wait, wait, let me do the numbers. Wait a second. Does that mean King Gutho, Clint Gutherson, could be your starting fullback to start Origin 1? Let me put it to you this way, Blues. It could be a heck of a lot worse than putting Gutho back there. But, again, let's finish up on the grand final. Great season. A lot of people don't know this. I know a lot of the backstory isn't what people try to pay attention to. But the Melbourne Storm have been away from home for four months. Think about that. Four months. They've been living at the Gold Coast. And Ryan Pappenhausen even said that the team packed their bags when they left Victoria for two weeks. They were planning on being back home in two weeks. And they were gone for four months. Luckily, they got to bring their families and, and, and significant others up there after a while. But not, you know, I think it took a couple months before they got everyone up there. But, Wow. You know, that to me, again, shows you the dedication that these clubs have gone through, AFL and NRL. Because don't forget, Victoria shut down, and that is where the predominant amount of clubs are from. So the two clubs from Victoria that had to relocate to the Gold Coast won their grand finals. And I've always said... The best way to get teams to actually circle the wagons, as they would say in an old West setting, we're going to circle the wagons. we got to protect the people. But to circle the wagons and to have teams find out about the importance of family and that we play for one another is to isolate them. Some teams love to play on the road because they get that mentality and that feeling it's us against the world. And coaches love to coach that up. It's, all, it's only us. And these two clubs showed that. They personified that. Because Richmond had some off-field situations, had to send a couple players back home. Cotchen's wife needed to have her nails repaired. I mean, spod. You know, there were things that happened. And they continued to march on. So congratulations to both of those clubs because the sacrifices they did and truthfully, they may both be the two benchmark clubs. Richmond is for sure in the AFL. And it's kind of hard to say that the Melbourne Storm aren't either. Because if you look at next season, even if Cameron Smith retires, you still have to say with Harry Grant or Brandon Smith being your hooker that then the Melbourne Storm are going to re be right back up there. And there's even rumblings that, that Sinisali Vinavalu might be talking about going back on his contract with the Reds and staying with the Melbourne Storm. 
So if Vinovalu doesn't leave, even though they are going to lose Josh Adokar, you know, but they could be getting back. They're going to get back something for letting Josh Adokar go. And the big talk is that he's probably going to Canterbury right now. Once again, sorry, Tigers fans. But again, these clubs are the benchmark for a reason. And I, I think you will see, again, the Melbourne Storm right back up there next season again. And Cameron Munster, who we didn't mention at all in this grand final, didn't have a horrible game, but you know, I think we're finding out probably, and we will find out more, that Cameron Munster's knee probably is going to need some type of repair. But Cameron Munster, I know, wants to prove to everybody that he can win a grand final without the big three. Well, he's la- Slater's gone. Cooper, Cooper's gone. Kronk's gone. And now it looks like Cameron Smith has played his last game for the Melbourne Storm because we're pretty much sure that even if he plays on, he will not be back there next season. I kind of hope he does because it will be very, very strange for me to see him play in another jersey. But Cameron Smith, no matter where he goes, can still play. But Cameron Munster wants to prove his greatness too. And I think I think when it's all said and done, when the big three are fully officially all gone, I think you're going to see Cameron Munster lift his, his playing level to a level we haven't even seen yet. And he's already considered one of the best players in the competition. Now, he may look like he's about ready to pistol whip you with that mustache. He looks like a, a deputy sheriff, but he's a heck of a player. And I'm really excited to see what type of player he's going to fully become when he gets the full reins and the full leadership of that club. So some other 4020s we have this week, origin sides were named, and, and I'm really not going to go into that. It, to me, we've still got a week and a half of training left for these clubs, and there will be some some moving and some shaking. So we'll get into that in more detail uh, probably next week. On outside the sheds, we'll talk about about um, and let's talk about that really quick too. I think next week we've been going on Thursday for the finals, but I think next week we're going to try to record either on Monday or Tuesday so we can have everybody ready for Origins. So be looking for outside the sheds to be a little bit earlier in the week next week so we can get everybody ready for a little blue on maroon hatred. But we're go, we'll go into the sides a little bit more in detail for that first Origin match instead of this week. But Origin sides have been named, and like I said, there will be a bunch of changing up as that goes on. But some news that just broke that really caught me off guard, and I, I had my, my bets where I thought he was going to end up. But word is just coming down that Benji Marshall is getting ready to sign a contract to play at the North Queensland Cowboys. And the reason this is going on is there's been two player moves. A player has moved from Newcastle to the Super League. Looks like he's uh, a player is heading towards St. Helens. I think it's Matai, Muatai. But Jake Clifford is now going to move from North Queensland to Newcastle. And I think that means he's going to partner up with Mitchell Pierce in the halves. And I'm a big fan of Jake Clifford. I think Jake Clifford is, 
I think Jake Clifford felt too much weight on his back this season with the injuries. And I just don't think he was able to play the football. I don't think any of the season went the way any of the fans in North Queensland wanted to go, personally. But Jake Clifford, to me, is a, is a, a darn good player. And I think Mitchell Pierce, even though I know he wanted Kieran Foran to partner him in the sides for next season, you would be talking about a Kieran, a Kieran Foran player that isn't Kieran Foran of 2011, 12, or 13. You're talking to Kieran Foran of now who's coming after. It, it, it feels like season after season of injury, and he's going to be coming off an injury now. Not that I don't think that Kieran Foran can't come back and play the way that you know, that Kieran Foran can give you to a club or, or performance he can give you for a, for a club. But to get a young Jake Clifford is something that Newcastle can build on for the next four, five, six seasons. And I think he will be a perfect, perfect partner for Mitchell Pierce and let Mitchell Pierce play the game that he wants to play and also let Jake Clifford play the game that he wants to play. So that's a good move for Newcastle. That's a really good move for Newcastle. But also, I think this is an incredible move for North Queensland because champions champions want to prove that they're champions. Champions want to prove that clubs made a mistake when they may have gotten rid of them, when they may not have saw them through. And I think under Todd Payton's tutelage, I think Benji Marshall is going to have a great season for North Queensland next year. I think that Todd Payton is the perfect coach. Looking how he coached the Warriors this year, I think he's going to get everything. And don't forget, Todd Payton got his heart broken because... He was playing on the opposite club with Benji Marshall in the 2005 Grand Final. So Todd Payton, I think, is going to bring the best out of Benji Marshall. I think Benji Marshall is going to bring the best out of North Queensland because I think there's a lot of players there that respect Benji and the attack, I think, will be exciting. Exciting all the way around. So that really has me excited to see this North Queensland team and what they would they really run out of the field looking like next year? But with what you're looking at right now, um, this could be a very fun and exciting team. And a team that you have to think would still be probably the best team in Queensland next season. Because even though I know Kevin Walters will go up there and do some some major changes and and and, pl- and that he'll get that team playing with passion, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm going to be excited to see those those derbies next year between the, the the between the cows and the broncos. So that was our 4020s. Let's go to the guns. You're probably going to be upset with me shedheads because to me the guns this week was was beyond easy. Your guns and I only have two of them are your Clive Churchill medal winner and your Norm Smith winner winner. Uh, Dustin Martin was my number 1 gun. Dusty had 4 goals. 21 disposals, 16 kicks, 5 handballs, 1 mark, 3 tackles, 5 clearances, 1 goal assist, and 457 meters gained. 
And I guess with those numbers you can see, that is why he won the Norm Smith. And my second gun would be the incredible Ryan Pappenhausen again. One try, 27 kick meters, one forced dropout, one line break, 210 total running meters, 30 kick return meters, and six tackles made. So, like I said earlier, it was pretty easy, my guns this week. Both of those guys just played lights out. Lights out. Understatement of the century. So that that's finishing up our 2020 guns of the regular season. We won't have an AFL gun now, I'd say, for another four or five months until the season starts back up. We will definitely have some origin guns starting next week. Or I guess we won't have one next week in two weeks because origin won't have been played yet. But trust me, those guns will fire again and we will definitely pick this up when the season commences. Outside the bubble, it's been very unique because there's a few stories I was looking at to kind of bring you guys outside the incredible world of the NRL and the AFL. And I and I really, I think I might actually throw in, inside the bubble. Um, we'll start talking a little Super League too because the game of Rugby League is the game of Rugby League. We just may love it down under and spend more, may pour, may spend more attention and time with that. But there are some great players in the Super League so we'll, we'll be talking about the Super League a little bit more next week as well. But I guess my number one area that I wanted to start with for outside the bubble was talking about the Dodgers winning the World Series. And, and I was very happy. I, first off, it was an incredible World Series. I, I think Game 5, excuse me, yes, Game 5, no, Game 4, excuse me, Game 4. Might have been the craziest game I have ever seen in or ending to a game I've ever seen uh, in a in a World Series game. But the Dodgers, if you think about what the LA Dodgers have gone through over the last few seasons, they've lost two two trophies to two cheating teams. And I, let's let's stress that again. I don't know if if you heard me again. Two cheating teams. Both of them that had affiliation with the Astros because the coach for the Astros went up to the Red Sox and no one wants to admit it in Major League Baseball, but I think he implemented some of the great cheating ways of the Houston Astros. But the Dodgers really should feel snake-bitten in the standpoint that they lost two championships to two clubs that weren't playing the game fair. And that's tough to live with. That's tough to live with because, like I said earlier, there's no guarantee that we're getting back here again. There's no guarantee that you're going to play for a trophy again. There's no guarantee that an athlete's going to play the next game. Or after you finish that game, you're going to play the game after that. Because you could have a season or career-ending injury. It's just There's nothing just like life. There's nothing guaranteed. If I would have told you at the end of 2019 that we'd all be wearing masks around the world... That means you should be wearing a mask. That we should that we'd be wearing masks around the world, shedheads. You'd have laughed at me. 
Because we always used to think getting on a plane, when we saw that one person wearing a mask, we're like, what they, what are they covering? What's wrong with them? Why do they got to wear a mask? And now I have three favorite masks that I like. And that's within what? Nine months? Ten months? So there's no guarantees in life. But the, the Dodgers continue to believe in their manager and continue to play a high-intensity brand of baseball this year was in a crazy season because Major League Baseball did it like nobody else. I'm happy they came to their senses and did bubbles at the end. But it was a crazy season. But the Dodgers came back from three games to one down against the Braves. And then every time it looked like they were about ready to get the stranglehold on the Rays, the Rays would get out of it and push them again and push them again and push them again. And hats off to the Tampa Bay Rays because besides a blunder of a managerial decision to pull their their ace out in game six because of a computer or a graphic, that, that to me just is gut-wrenching because no computer can measure your heart or your will or your drive. And it definitely can't measure all three of them at the same time. And that you can't read that as a manager and you're going to go with your, your, your computer printout or your sheet. And I don't, I'm not saying that you wouldn't have been there without playing it that way. But in a game six, game six situation, when you have to win a game, you've got to change things up occasionally. You've got to adapt. The book The Art of War will say that military formation has to always be fluid. You can never fight the same battle the same way twice in a row. You just can't do it. So, you know, who knows what happens if... But I know the Dodgers were quite happy when they changed pitchers. And you can see they came alive after that. And ball game, really. Mookie Betts, the boys just ran over the top of the Rays after the end. And you kind of wonder looking at those Rays in, in the dugout, if they were like, what are we doing right here? How can we pull a guy that might be pitching the game of his career? Um, but they did. And the Dodgers ended up coming over the top of him and winning the World Series. Now, I don't, I hate to be negative because I, I'm a big fan of Dave Roberts. I think that he's a great manager. I know he's taken an immense amount of flack for some maybe coaching decisions that he's done over the last few years. But let's also remember, Dave Roberts is only the second African-American manager to win a World Series since Cito Gaston won it with the Toronto Blue Jays. Let that sink in a little bit. But he did it. And the Dodgers did it. But the moment that I could not believe is when their third baseman in the sixth inning, Turner, Justin Turner, left the field, didn't come back on the field. And after the game, it's reported that he tested positive after a second test for COVID. 
That's right, the C word. I said the C word again for COVID. Now, let's be honest. If you don't do bubbles the right way, which shocks me because wasn't that the whole purpose of us having a bubble? And how did Justin Turner get COVID if he's allegedly in baseball's bubble? So I don't know. Maybe we'll get the Hardy Boys on that or Nancy Drew. Yeah, I'm sorry. Nancy's booked. So maybe we'll get the Hardy Boys on that and find out what happened. But somehow Justin Turner got COVID, finds out in the sixth inning. In fact, they say that the lab in Utah where they send this to, these were these the, to, to get the numbers or to get the, the test results. Okay. But they said that they got backlogged or got behind, and that's why the test didn't get back before the game. Oh, that's good to know. Now we know that the tests weren't in, but everybody took the field. Good job, baseball. But after he tested positive, the protocol that Justin Turner was on the board that helped implement being the player rep that helped implement these plans of action, he went totally against and ran back out on the field after they said he couldn't go back on to celebrate with the Dodgers, his teammates. But the problem is his teammates were not the only ones on the field then. Families were on the field then. Management, owners were on the field then. Broadcasters were on the field then. And if you look at the footage, Justin Turner repeatedly took his mask down and then finally took it off. And in the team photo, he's sitting next to Dave Roberts, who is a cancer survivor. And in and in the realm of COVID, and last time I checked, I've never drawn blood. I am not a medical professional. I may know a few, may possibly know a few. They're good people. Matter of fact, I'm a big fan of them. But I will tell you this right now. One of the one of the markers, one of the people that are supposed to watch out during this time are people that have compromised immune systems and may have had to fight cancer. And that's Dave Roberts. And Justin Turner is sitting next to Dave Roberts, not wearing a mask to take a team photo. And I and I almost it was almost like I was in a dream watching this. It was like, is this what is going on? And then reports have now come out that he was repeatedly asked to leave the field and wouldn't leave the field. I, I don't know, Shedheads. I don't even know what to say about this story. I have no idea. The disregard, the blatant disregard of your team. And what does everyone say? I love my family. I love my teammates. And even though my teammates may be calling for me, sometimes, guess what? You have to do for others what they don't need, they might not understand why you're doing it for them. And I don't know what happened. I guess everything went out. The, I guess, and I guess kissing the trophy and holding the trophy and then handing it off to somebody else was more important than safety of others. I don't know. But I know Major League Baseball has opened an investigation into Justin Turner now. But the crazy thing about it is Justin Turner is a free agent now. He may not even be back with the Dodgers next year. So it's just the craziest story. And the thing that makes it so sad is this individual's rogue action has kind of put a little bit of a smudge on the Dodgers, which it shouldn't be. Because, you know, 
Seager hitting home runs and Mookie making incredible defensive plays out in right field. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's it's sad. It's sad. But again, it it goes back to this entire virus and how some people just play it off as I'm going to get better, and some people understand that there's no guarantee you will get better. And the thought that the greater good is not important for others is the thing that baffles me. Because me putting a piece of cloth or a filter over my face to go into a store and to walk out and then to get in my car and to take it off, I don't know why that's a big deal. I just, I I don't understand it. And I think that's why we have a problem. Why does it take us to have a tsunami or an F5 tornado or green people coming down from outer space or the walking dead for all of us to bond together and find out that we're not that much different? I don't understand it. Never will. Maybe I should just pat myself on the back and, and look upstairs and thank my mother for raising the man that she raised the way that she raised him. I don't know. But I think that moment at the World Series showed you the grand scheme of things of of a planet, what we're going through right now. My last thing for Outside the Sheds, I'm stepping off my soapbox now. It is a good soapbox and I do smell good, but I'm stepping off of it. And I'm going to talk really briefly because I think when somebody passes, the best way to honor them is to mention them. And I'm a big hockey fan. Um, If you haven't noticed that I've talked about all sports, but I'm a huge, huge hockey fan. Been a hockey fan since I was a little, little kid. And in 1995, I was watching a hockey game and a player, a young man, uh, that a lot of people had talked about, a man by the name of Travis Roy, a young man, uh, took his first shift. But he had been talked about a lot because he was this young recruit that BU, Boston University, the Terriers, had brought in, and they were expecting big things from him. And I remember I turned away from this from the TV. I had to do something, and I came back. I turned back, and the game had stopped, and I, I had no idea what had happened. And next thing you know, now they're coming out to strap this young man on a board to take him off the, off the ice. And that doesn't happen often in hockey. And I think if you've ever watched hockey, there's a lot of hitting, a lot of bodies flying around, and a lot of guys who get back up because they just got hit. So seeing somebody carted off the ice is not something that you see often. And I think it made everybody pause watching it. But what, what, what is the saying? He's a hockey player. He'll be back. I've seen guys get stitched up on the bench for crime's sake. So, But seeing him carted off the field, you knew that it was something, something very, very um, tragic that we just experienced and seen. And unfortunately, Travis Roy got paralyzed from that hit. And if you think about it, to to have a dream your entire life, 18 years of your life, and it all culminates to going to the school you want to go to or play for the club that you want to play for, and to only get that sensation and feeling for 11 seconds and it to be gone forever, it's hard to... It's hard to hard to get your feeling behind that or, or to get your mind or your, your head around that because it's just, you don't see it. 
And the one thing we think about these athletes when we see them play is, is that, all right, get back up. You know, we get back out on the field. We need you. Get back out there. And we sometimes forget the pain, the heartache, the long hours of rehab that some of these guys have to go through to get back out there. But there's very few or far times between that we get that sensation that they're never going to be able to go back out there. And that's what we saw with Travis Roy. And 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 I know that, you know, I've watched stories with him over the years that he, you know, he fought with it a little bit. And, and a lot of them he said he wouldn't change it from the world because he still got 11 seconds of doing and playing for the team he'd always grown up wanting to play. And, um, but you, you just, you know that in your heart you're like, I had so much to give there. And he had to come to terms with that, that he was never going to be able to live a life without somebody having to take care of him for the rest of his life. And the happy sides of the story is that he ended up starting a foundation and they, they have a huge softball tournament up in, I think it's in Massachusetts for him every year. And, um, but he lost his life today. And, and that, is, that is tough to think about, you know, who he lost why we lost him, and to honor him. And for me, the best way to honor somebody when we know that they've done something um, that really that needs to be remembered is to, to, to always talk about them and let them know. So if you get a chance, look up Travis Roy. Look up his story. Um, you can find a couple of stories on ESPN. I know that I think they did a, uh, an Outside the Lines, and I think there's a, a 30 for 30 that they did or something for him. But look it up um, because... He needs to be remembered for what he brought to this world. But that being said, I think it's not on a heavy heart that we end outside the sheds because you guys come to this to get away, to be a part of this shedhead family. But I am really excited about Origins coming up. I'm excited that the, the that this podcast will continue and we will continue to bring the energy week in and week out. You might have to fight through some weeks of us talking about off-field moves. But hey, remember, Shedheads, we always have cornhole that we can turn to. And uh, if you can't say get, get, at least once a week to somebody to get them away from you, are you really living? But like I tell you, week in and week out, try to make a difference in somebody's life. Give a hug. But live life. And if you're going to go out there and and do things that maybe you should be careful doing, just don't get caught. But until next time, Shedheads, this has been Outside the Sheds. I'm your host, Corey Jackson. See ya when I see ya. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson, talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about. 